This is Retelling the Bible, a podcast in which I, your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless, retell familiar Bible stories in ways that might help you to hear them as you have never heard them before. The Bible is not a history book, at least not in the modern sense of that word, but it contains many stories based on historical events and set within historical settings. The goal of the authors was not merely to recount exactly what happened. They had a far more important job to do. Their job was to convey the truth about God, the world, or themselves that they had experienced. And as any good storyteller knows, you can never let mere facts get in the way of speaking the truth. Nowhere is this more apparent than in the Gospel of Luke's story of the birth of Jesus. I don't think that the Gospel writer had a lot of details about what actually happened around the birth of his Lord. After all, his account disagrees a fair bit with the story that is told in the Gospel of Matthew. I set out all of the points of disagreement in my book, Caesar's Census, God's Jubilee, if you would like to look at a full list. But, you see, that was okay, as far as Luke was concerned, because he had truths about who Jesus was that he wanted to convey. He filled in the details largely by borrowing from the Old Testament and told a story, an amazing story, that has endured and captured people's imagination down through the centuries. Today we pick up the story as Mary and Joseph finally arrive in Bethlehem, the part of the story that we might be most familiar with. But have we really understood it as the author intended? Episode 7 a traveler at the door. After a seemingly unending journey, Mary and Joseph finally arrive in Bethlehem. Though he has never been here before, Joseph has little trouble finding his way to the small piece of land that once belonged to his family. It is exactly as his parents described it to him. He even recognizes the remains of his family's mark carved into the trunk of the fig tree that stands by the road. He leads Mary up to the door and pauses before knocking. He hears a voice inside. The master of the house is there. The man does not actually live in the house, of course. It is normally occupied by poor tenant farmers. The master has many different properties that he manages. He only happens to be here today to receive his generous portion from the grain harvest. Joseph takes the presence of the man as a sign from God. At least, 
His case will be heard. He knocks, and in a few moments, a slave comes to the door. He evaluates Joseph and his wife behind him with a glance. The master will give no alms today, he says. Move along. I seek no alms, replies Joseph, but have only come to claim what is mine. I am Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Matat. This property is my own. It has belonged to my family since it was given by God in the days of Joshua. Tell your master that it is God's jubilee. It is the time when he must return it to its rightful owners. On behalf of my family, I have come to state our claim. It is a matter of justice. It is God's will. What Joseph doesn't say, of course, is that he is already registered in the census, claiming the land as his own possession. It will probably be best if he and Mary are well away before the master learns of that. With a sour look, but without a word, the slave closes the door. As Joseph listens, he hears a low conversation within and a sudden burst of laughter. Before long, the door opens and Joseph looks up again at the sour face of the slave. You're to move along. The master does not recognize your claim. Joseph slowly nods. He had expected nothing less. As the slave turns to go, he reaches out and puts his hand on the man's shoulder. It is as I thought. He knows nothing of God's justice. But perhaps he knows something of God's compassion. Joseph turns and indicates Mary behind him. It is my wife. As you can surely see, she will be having her baby very soon. He may deny his obligations according to the law of the Jubilee, but surely your master will not forsake his duty to offer hospitality to travelers. Perhaps he will find it in his heart to grant us temporary lodging in a room of the house, the house that should be my own, even if it is just until the child is born. Joseph thinks that he detects a certain softening on the face of the man as he closes the door this time and turns again to speak to the master. But soon an even louder peal of laughter comes from the house. Ho oh, ho! It's hospitality that he wants then, is it? Tell him that I can be generous. He may lay his brat in the feeding trough out in the field. <laughs> Thank you.
Joseph doesn't wait for the slave to return this time. He and Mary simply move away from the door. They go around the house and deep into the field to find the place where they will lay their child. They soon find the manger. It is roughly carved out of stone and Joseph's mind rests for a moment on the thought that it was likely carved many years ago by his own distant ancestor. There is no straw in it, for the land no longer has any livestock, but it is easily filled with some overgrown grass that grows nearby. They lay down their belongings and set up camp. When the child is born, they will lay him in the old feeding trough, and they will take comfort in the act, for at least they will know that their child has been born on that piece of land that God gave to Joseph's family to be their possession forever. Who knows? Perhaps even in the cruelty and twisted sense of humor of the master, God has a plan. is what the Gospel of Luke says happened when Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem. While they were there, the time came for Mary to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. It is not much to go on, but of course, we have not hesitated to fill in plenty of details. If you have watched a few church Christmas pageants, you will have seen scenes of a bustling hotel and a harried innkeeper who apologizes to the couple that he just doesn't have the room to offer them, but that perhaps he can put them up in the shed out back. That is how we have come to imagine it but it seems unlikely that that was how the author wanted us to see it. There are a number of historical problems with that traditional understanding. First of all, there was no inn in Bethlehem. The archaeological evidence is quite clear on this. The area around Bethlehem was very sparsely settled at that period of time. There were no large establishments and there would have been no need for them. 
What's more, Luke never suggests that there were large crowds coming to Bethlehem during the time of the census. Luke says that the people all went to their own towns. That is to say, they went to the places where their ancestral homes were found. He never suggests that everyone went to Bethlehem, quite the opposite. So what is Luke saying? The word that he uses that is usually translated as in doesn't mean what we usually understand by that word. The word that he uses, katalima in Greek, simply means a room in which travelers might lay down their belongings and rest. Such a room might be found in an institution like an inn in a large city, but in a place like Bethlehem, in most places, in fact, such rooms were usually to be found only in private homes. There was a strong belief throughout the ancient Mediterranean world that you had a duty to offer hospitality to strangers, so it would be entirely normal if you were a traveler to stay in such a catalima, spare room, in a house. The thing that is odd in Luke's account of the birth of Jesus is that when he speaks about the place where there was no room for them, he uses the definite article. He says that there was no room in the catalima. The normal thing to say, if a traveler was unable to find hospitality in some town, would be something like there was no room in any catalima. That one small word, that the, therefore means a great deal. It suggests that Joseph wasn't just looking for hospitality any place, that he was seeking it in a very particular place. The traditional view that he was seeking it in some institutional inn seems, however, extremely unlikely. But what if, as I have been suggesting in this podcast, Luke meant for us to understand that the reason why Joseph was making the journey to Bethlehem was not to meet some totally illogical Roman requirement connected to the census. What if he did it because he saw himself on a jubilee journey to the land that had once belonged to his family? Well, then he would be seeking hospitality in a very specific place, wouldn't he? He would be seeking it in the house that, according to the Old Testament law, rightly belonged to him. It certainly casts the lack of hospitality offered to Mary and Joseph in a very different light, doesn't it? So, let's leave Mary and Joseph there, setting up a makeshift camp by an old feeding trough. Next time on Retelling the Bible, we will jump back to the story of another historical character who I think actually plays a key role in Luke's story of the Nativity, but who has been almost completely forgotten in the centuries since the Gospel was first written. Next time, we'll ask, what does Judas the Galilean have to do with the Christmas story? Once again, this is Retelling the Bible, and I am W. Scott McCandless. Follow me on Twitter at Retelling Bible or on this podcast's Facebook page. 
You can purchase my book on Amazon, or you can get the ebook in most online stores where fine ebooks are sold. The theme music for this podcast is Ada by Kevin MacLeod. The additional music on this episode is Ascending the Veil, also by Kevin MacLeod. And both can be found at incompetech.com. They are licensed under the Creative Commons. Next week's episode will come out as the season of Advent begins. So let me take this opportunity to wish you and your family a blessed Advent season. Perhaps we'll even get Jesus born on this podcast before Christmas arrives. And finally, here's the clickbait title for next week's episode. There have been many rebels who came up with crazy schemes. Were any of them ever as crazy as this guy's?